What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I'm Dr. Gina, and this is Primetime. Welcome. Well, the scandalous hires are piling up in the Biden administration, and believe it or not, there's a new one today. But let's quickly go through the list that we already have. Biden's national security advisor, Jake Sullivan, sent classified information through Hillary's secret and insecure e- unsecure email server. Victoria Newland is the incoming undersecretary of state, and she is buddies with Christopher Steele. That, of course, is the author of the fake Trump-Russia dossier. Now, Susan Rice, the new Biden White House domestic advisor, she is famous for making up fake reasons for the Benghazi terror attack. And then you have Melissa Hodgman, the new SEC enforcement official, and she is the wife of fired and disgraced FBI agent Peter Strzok. And then there's the Treasury Secretary, Janet Yellen, made over $800,000 giving speeches, quote-unquote, to Uh, Citadel Securities, and that is the middle of the game, obviously in the middle of the whole GameStop scandal. And so now, just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, it actually could. The brand new assistant attorney general is a partner at the law firm of Hunter Biden's attorney, Christopher Clark, who also happens to be a partner at that law firm. So I'm sure it's just a coincidence, though because it can't possibly be a prerequisite uh, to be uh, hired in the Biden administration. Nicholas McQuaid, the new assistant attorney general, will head up the U.S. Department of Justice Criminal Division. Can't make this up. And he's worked on several cases over the years with Hunter Biden's attorney at at their New York law firm. It's almost comical because you think, well, maybe he knows a lot about that. Uh, They were working on at least one case together when he left the firm in January to join the DOJ. So in case you forgot, Hunter Biden is said to be under investigation for tax and money laundering crimes. So to have a buddy who's running the DOJ criminal division, pretty convenient for Hunter Biden. Yeah. And over in the White House press office, Jen Psaki, she's under fire again. She's well known in her first two weeks for dodging questions with her famous I will circle back excuse. And now she's pulling a trick that she learned from Hillary Clinton back during the 2016 presidential debates. She's asking for the questions up front. That's right, folks. She wants the questions ahead of time so that she has all the answers in place and she doesn't have to say she'll circle back and she doesn't have to act like, oh, well, you know, she can always look like she knows the answers and uh, is well-versed on everything. And not only that, she can pick and choose which one she wants to answer and how she wants to answer them. So, folks, this is getting good, and we're going to bring you more on all of this coming up later in the show. But first, we're going to head around America to our hosts and correspondents on the ground. First, going to Carrie Sheffield, host of Just the News AM right here on Real America's Voice. Carrie, go ahead. Hey there, Dr. Gina. I want to let you know about my latest piece at JustTheNews.com. It's looking at this question of a bait and switch. 
So Joe Biden, when he's helping to campaign in Georgia for the Senate seats, he promised $2,000 in COVID relief for Americans. But now that he's been sworn in, he's now offering $1,400. And he's saying that this is uh, it's finishing the job started by Trump because Trump signed a bill giving $600. So adding that up would get you to the 2000 But both left and right is uh, criticizing this. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says that $2,000 does not mean $1,400. And the Republican spokeswoman told me that Biden is bucking his promise from the campaign trail and ruling on behalf of liberal elites and special interests not the American people. So keep an eye out for this to be a thorny political issue for him because it's something that uh, former President Trump had been pushing for the 2000. In other news, also want to let you know about Dr. Anthony Fauci reversed himself again, saying that double masking for COVID-19 does not make a difference. First, overall, last year, Fauci said, don't wear a mask. Then he said to wear a mask. Then he said to wear two masks. Then he said, just wear one mask. So keeping up with Dr. Anthony Fauci's mask wearing recommendations is getting tough. That's why we are here at Just the News to help people keep sense of all of this. Now it's back to you, Dr. Gina. You know, if you leave it to the experts, your head is going to be going in circles, circling back and forth and back and forth, just like Jen Psaki says. Thank you so much, Carrie. Now out to our Denver headquarters to Jessica Rivera. Jessica, what have you been working on today? Well, Dr. Gina, earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, I spoke with a 13-year Navy veteran and Los Angeles congressional nominee, Joe Collins, about his call, uh, calling for a federal investigation into Democrat Los Angeles con Congresswoman Maxine Waters over her alleged rampant corrupt dealings over her past 30 years in office. Collins explained that according to federal election information, Waters' daughter, Karen Waters, has received over $1.1 million from her mother's campaigns since 2003. Take a listen. Yeah, we had a lot of issues going on in our campaign. Um, her, her violent acts, sending people to our events with guns to intimidate us. Um, you know, even this uh, recent article that came out where she was found to pay over a million dollars to her daughter. These are all things that need to be looked at. Maxine has been in office for a very long time, so that means the opportunity for corruption is there, and it's absolutely apparent, but we need the members of Congress to be able to step out and speak against the corrupt acts of their members and hold these people accountable for the actions that they fought. And I also asked Collins why these career politicians are able to get away with such questionable and possibly corrupt practices with no recourse. And he says it's because it's a popularity contest, basically. And it's well known that these congressional members funnel money through their accounts to other countries in exchange for favors, favors that ultimately keep them in office for so long. And Dr. Gina, I'm from the Los Angeles area and the people I knew when I lived there who lived in any of the districts that Waters ever represented over her years there in Congress did not like her, but many of her constituents they feel powerless, so they kind of just put up with this. Uh, in many places like this, they're so-called representatives who don't represent them in any way and who only return back to their districts because they have to. They pop back up around re-election time to basically pander, and then they're again off to D.C. or wherever else they travel until the next election cycle. In the meantime, Collins is contesting the recent election results with the lawsuit asking for the mail-in ballots and signatures to be verified because he doesn't think he actually lost the race in 2020. The next court date is in May, and if the results are to be found illegitimate, Waters can be unseated, and Collins would then take her position. 
So it'll be a very interesting story to see how it all ends up, and I will be sure to keep you updated on the latest. Wow, Jessica, thank you so much. Fascinating story. Appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, now let's check in with Sophie Mann from our partners here at Just the News. Sophie, you and the crew at Just the News are watching wasteful government spending, and you highlight a new example of this each week. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah, of course. Well, I mean, so we like to really highlight uh, egregious government spending. As you said, there is so much of it. There really is just actually so much of it that it's pretty impossible to narrow down um, just a couple of examples to pull from every week. But we want the American people to sort of understand what the government is spending their their tax dollars on um, from huge things like Medicare and Medicaid fraud, uh, you know, the the unrolling of the vaccine um, data program, which has been a complete failure across the board um, to much smaller scale things like uh, what I profiled this past week, which had to do with a dental study um, taking place at Temple University that the National Institutes of Health um, ended up funneling uh, about $2.5 million to over the course of two years. And basically what the study is trying to figure out is whether or not uh, showing adults, not even children, but adults videos prior to their dental visits um, will help quell their nervousness around um, going to the dentist for things like checkups and cavity fillings and root canals. You know, it's the dentist. It's unpleasant. Uh, we understand that, I think. But um, there should be enough of an incentive as an adult, I think, to show up probably um, without necessarily having to spend taxpayer dollars doing a not even really a medical study, but a psychological study around the possible effects of a video that you would see once you were already in that chair and whether or not it would sort of make you feel better about this sort of incredibly necessary part of adult life. Wow, if they were going to do some studies, I'd really like to know the long-term effects of breathing in your own CO2 through masks, or at least a mask, or multiple masks, or I think there have been studies now of three masks, and not to mention the little fibers you breathe in when you're uh, breathing in those masks of unknown uh, That's very true. origin. So, yeah. Thank you so much, Sophie. Always appreciate you. Thank you. Coming up, we run through the worst of the Biden scandal-plagued nominees with John Solomon of Just the News. That's up next on Dr. Gina Primetime. Hey, don't forget, if you're watching us, you can go to our, uh, our, our podcast, which is over at Just the News. Just go to the little hamburger up in your left-hand corner, scroll down to podcasts, and look for my face there, and make sure you watch Dr. Gina Primetime podcast. And if you're listening on our podcast, make sure you find us. We're on Roku, we're on Pluto, we're on Dish. We are all over the place. Or you can even find us on our website, realamericasvoice.com. Back in a moment. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to Dr. Gina Primetime. Now, if you want a job in the Biden administration, you better make sure you're tied to a scandal. And then you're shooing. Well, if you're a Democrat, that is. Uh, we have been bringing you all the scandalous Biden nominees here on the show, but the latest one is the absolute worst. 
the new assistant attorney general just happens to have worked at the same law firm as Hunter Biden's lawyer. Now, is this a coincidence? Let's ask John Solomon from Just the News because he seems to have the heads up on just about everything. John, good to see you. Good to have you with us tonight. Good to be with you, Gina. Yeah, this is uh, amazing. Nicholas McQuaid, right? Business partner yeah. of Chris Clark, the lawyer who represented Hunter Biden. He gets named the acting uh, director or uh, acting assistant attorney general for the criminal division, overseeing all criminal cases all across America. Big appointment, and uh, nobody seemed to raise a, an eyebrow that he has this tie to his law partner, who currently represents Hunter Biden in the tax case. So the question will be, is he going to recuse himself? Justice Department is not saying right now, so we're trying to find that out. And there's a very similar matter going on at the Securities and Exchange Commission, where Melissa Hodgman, a career uh, uh, enforcement official, has been working her way up the ladder. Well, she just was named acting enforcement chief for the Securities and Exchange Commission. Why is she famous? She's married to Pete Strzok, the agent who uh, uh, led the uh, Crossfire Hurricane Russia probe and was fired by the FBI for misconduct. So a very small, cozy world in the enforcement world of Washington these days. Wow, John. Uh, you know, you and the crew have been uh, keeping up over there at Just the News with all of these scandalous hires in the Biden administration. And there are lots of bad ones. Um, you mentioned uh, Strzok and you mentioned uh, this one with Hunter Biden. Um, but there are right. so many, John. It almost seems like, and, and, and you know, but here again in the press briefings that I'm hearing uh, in the uh, mainstream media, oh, yeah. by and large, I'm not hearing a lot about these. Not There's a word. Jake Sullivan. No, there's Jake Sullivan, uh, Biden's new national security advisor, who sent classified yeah. information through Hillary's email server. Um, how does that guy get a job as national security advisor, of all things? Well, what does it show you? It shows you that there's no consequence in Washington for bad behavior when you're connected, right? When you have a connection to someone. And, uh, you know, Jake Sullivan was connected to Biden, was connected to Hillary Clinton. And so she gets, uh, he gets a pass, right? Even though... He is identified as one of those who sent classified information on multiple occasions through Hillary Clinton's account. Take Susan Rice, former national security advisor. She had two connections to past scandals. She was, as UN ambassador, the woman who claimed falsely that the attack on Benghazi was launched by an anti or was inspired by an anti-Muslim video. In fact, it wasn't. It was a long planned terror attack by Al Qaeda. We remember how famous a flub that was in uh, how much scrutiny that got during congressional hearings. And then later, in her last days in the Oval Office as the National Security Advisor, she writes a memo to herself, who does that, saying, hey, Barack right. Obama said, do everything by Russia, by the book. No one writes that unless they're worried that there's something not done by the book. And so that came out recently. Again, no consequence, though. The media gives her a bypass. Social media gives her a pass. And quite frankly, the Republicans haven't asked hard questions in Congress either. They've been very passive with the early appointees that Joe Biden has put before them for, uh, for confirmation. Yeah, and I want to ask you about that, the new conditions, if you will, in the press office in the White House. We have the press secretary, Jen Psaki, who reportedly has been asking journalists to send questions in advance of the press briefing. Um, this is quite scandalous. Now, we were used to this in the Joe Biden campaign when he was running for president. Questions had to be submitted ahead of time. He only let certain people into the very few press conferences that he even ever yeah. held. Um, he's not taking hard questions himself. But even now, Jen Psaki, uh, according, I believe it was to the Daily Beast, 
um, I believe it was Daily Beast. You can clarify that for me if you know. Right. Yeah, um, I think that's right. Said, yep. um, yeah, said that, uh, and this isn't, by the way, a conservative in any way, shape, or form. No, They've written horrible things about both you and I. Um, they don't like, do not like, I mean, they normally would cover up a story like this. So the fact that they are telling the story tells me that probably this is true if they're telling it about Jen Psaki. Um, so if they are asking for these questions ahead of time, um, what does this tell you about the media? Well, first off, uh, they've been uh, on the Democrat side for a long time. We know it from the bad Russia reporting, the failure to correct the bad Russia reporting. We know uh, that they haven't done a good job uh, following the evidence on the Capitol right. They're still on the narrative that the president's speech somehow incited a spontaneous riot, even though dozens, not, not one or two, but dozens of FBI affidavits now make clear this attack was planned weeks in advance. The pipe bombs were planted the night before. There was planning over the Christmas holidays, some going back to November. The media haven't told that side of the story to their readership as well. And so it's not surprising. You know, what, what it really tells us right now is so much of Washington is really stage managed. There's almost nothing organic that the Democrats allow to have happen. It's all being stage managed. It's just a big show. It might as well be a fiction movie. And that's bad for journalism. Listen, the unpredictability of journalism, the curiosity of journalism, the determination to get to the truth. That's what made journalism great. That's what gave us Watergate, what uncovered so many scandals, the Tuskegee experiment. But this group of journalists today, they lack curiosity, and they're just a part of a Hollywood movie. That's bad for America. That's, that's really what it concerns me. Hmm. Almost makes you wonder if legitimate news uh, outlets like ours should run some sort of warning that uh, these questions may be <laughs> pre-planned uh, or something yeah. like that. Because certainly we sure. know that when fake news happens, and other outlets, uh, or if they perceive it to be their brand of fake news, they're going to give you a warning about it anyway. John Solomon, we always appreciate all the research you're doing and uh, these Thanks, troubles Gina. coming out of this White House this early on uh, certainly are going to keep you very busy as the, as the years with this oh, administration for sure. proceed. <laughs> Thank you so much, John. We appreciate Thanks, it. Gina. All right, coming up under over 230 deaths and counting. Now, after receiving... The COVID vaccine. Should we be worried? The CDC says, yeah, nothing to worry about. Carry on. I'm going to talk to Dr. Simone Gold up next. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming at you. Stick around. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. And welcome back to Dr. Gina Prime Time. We're so happy that you're with us. Now, over 26 million Americans have received the COVID vaccine so far, and around 230 people have actually died after receiving the vaccine. The headline over justthenews.com says this, amid reported deaths following COVID vaccine, COVID-19 vaccinations, experts allay fears, discouraging alarm. Experts caution against linking deaths with injection. Here with me now to discuss, founder of America's 
frontline doctors, Dr. Simone Gold. Dr. Gold, thank you for accepting the interview today. Um, we know that you've been through a lot lately, and we're going to get to all of that. But first, I want to uh, ask you about what the experts are saying, because we've heard a lot of experts say a lot of things, like, uh, Fauci, as I talked about in my first segment, uh, initially telling us not to wear masks, then telling us to wear masks, then telling us to wear two masks. Now, today, he's gone back on that and said, no, not two masks, just one mask. So, you know, we had the CDC, or I'm sorry, the Surgeon General tell us not to wear masks and then to wear masks. And so it just gets very confusing about what the experts say. And Dr. Gold, you're one that I've come to know as somebody who uh, breaks it down in ways that are very sensible. So, 230 deaths out of the millions and millions of, of people vaccinated is a relatively small number, and that's why they say we shouldn't be alarmed. Um, what say you? Thank you so much. So America's Frontline Doctors is looking at the experimental COVID-19 vaccinations very seriously. We spent several months investigating the research. We're concerned because it was rolled out very, very quickly. We appreciate the tremendous scientific and business accomplishments to make that happen. But at the end of the day, it's still in an investigational stages only. The applications that Moderna and Pfizer put in with the FDA clearly state they're investigational and need to be voluntary per people's desires. Knowing that, we feel very strongly that nobody should be mandated or coerced to take an experimental medication. And it should only follow the science, meaning who could possibly benefit from this experimental treatment? That would be people who are at risk of death from COVID-19. That group is well known. It's persons who are over 70 or 75 with multiple comorbid conditions. In that group, those people ought to consider the vaccine as one of their, their um, options. But persons younger than 70 and certainly persons under 50 should not consider an experimental vaccine because the unknowns are just too numerous. To name two, there's something called antibody-dependent enhancement, and there's a potential effect on the placenta, potential fertility issues. Until those questions are answered, you cannot ethically and honorably recommend this to persons under age 50. So that's the official America's Frontline Doctor's position. In terms of the deaths that we're seeing, it's hard to comment because we, we don't know for certain the numerator and the denominator, and it's difficult, but we want to go back to the basics. If you're at risk of death, which means you're over 75 and have multiple comorbid conditions, you should certainly consider the vaccine. But if you're not at serious risk of death, you should think hard before subjecting yourself to an experimental therapeutic agent. Okay, Dr. Gold, uh, I've had you on the show regarding the vaccines many times before. And one of the things that you were concerned about before the release of the vaccine uh, was the possibility of someone who had had COVID, in particular those who've had a strong case of COVID and developed strong antibodies or perhaps even tested positive for the T-cell T style antibodies. Um, and then if they were to get uh, the vaccine, um, you were saying that we don't know what the long-term effects of that might be on, for example, the autoimmune response of the human body. Where do you stand with that today? Right, so it, we stand in the same spot, which is it's still unknowable, which is why we go back to the beginning, which is are you at serious risk of harm from the virus itself? If you're not at serious risk of harm, we simply think that the unknowns are too great to subject yourself to an investigational agent. Um, I, I think it's irresponsible to roll this out to millions and millions of people who are at very low risk from the virus. I always have to stress that this is not being anti-vaccination. I've been fully vaccinated. My children have been fully vaccinated. 
We're not talking about being vaccinated. We're talking about subjecting yourself to an experimental medication. If your risk from the virus is very low, you need to think carefully if you want to take an experimental agent. And, and, and so if, for the people who have been vaccinated, um, how long do they need to worry? I guess, is it, I, worry is maybe not the right term, but in, in true layman's terms, as I am, how long should they be concerned or watching for symptoms? Because we always hear that you, know, you, you shouldn't be concerned, you know, after, you know, you should only be concerned about, you know, for the 24 hours afterwards, if you have this symptom, this symptom, this symptom. But if it's an autoimmune response, that would be something that would go into weeks or even months or even perhaps years before you would develop an autoimmune response that would be, at least again, in layman's questioning terms, uh, that would be in response to having an autoimmune response once from the virus and then again from a vaccination. Right. So actually, you, you hit on the problem. Is it's one thing to have a side effect from a medication. So people can get side effects from the vaccine. They might get nausea or flu-like or achy, malaise, um, you know, bone aches, things like that. That's just a side effect. And that's certainly an acceptable risk. You know, that's a trade-off. The problem is we don't know the answer to that. The, the delayed immune problems or the delayed um, severe cytokine storm if you should encounter the virus in the wild. We don't know the answer to that. It's simply too soon. So the side effects from getting the shot, okay, that's one thing. The question is, what are the delayed reactions? We don't have enough data. Question. A lot of doctors will prophylactically give, uh, you know, an anti-inflammatory or, you know, some sort of, um, you know, Tylenol, something like that, that helps people not to have flu-like symptoms after they get the COVID vaccine, because often people will have those sorts of reactions, you know, whether it's lump or swelling on the vaccination site or perhaps a slight fever, some achiness and things like that. Um, So they were giving these, you know, these sorts of medicines before the vaccination. Now there has come some question as to the efficacy of the vaccination when given these sorts of medicine, medications prior to the vaccinations. What do you know about that? Right. What, I, I sound like a broke record. I'm so sorry. It's just unknowable. <laughs> it's just unknowable until we have enough information. There is an, a syndrome called Ray's syndrome, which children, babies would get after they had a viral illness and they took aspirin. And doctors didn't know about it until they did know about it. And it takes a certain amount of time and a certain amount of experience and exposure until we know if there's a problem, I would say the answer is unknowable if the anti-inflammatory Tylenol in association with the vaccine is an issue. It's simply, un- I don't have an opinion. It's unknowable. But when something is unknowable, you then have to ask yourself, well, what is the benefit of taking the unknowable? If you're in a low-risk group under age 50 with no serious comorbid conditions, you are in an exceedingly low-risk group. Per the CDC, your chances of surviving COVID if you're under age 50 is 99.98%. When you've got those kinds of good odds, you have to question why you'd be taking an unknowable risk. It's simply unknowable. The CDC says that we should watch the Super Bowl outside. Uh, and, it, you know, but there are some places where it's rather cold. And if you are cold for a long period of time, you also reduce your immunity. So I guess I'm looking for some wisdom on that topic as well. I think you're very wise to choose to live in Florida. I think that that's very, <laughs> that's very pretentious advice. What if you live in a cold climate? You know, we're making such foolish recommendations. I, 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 you know, we've lost our common sense, I'm afraid, Dr. Gina. 
You should not and, be outside. Got... Shorties, you should not be outside for five hours straight in very freezing weather. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds smart. Although they're forcing us outside to eat if they even let us eat at restaurants at all these days. And some of the recommendations these days, like uh, you, you could go to a restaurant now outside in certain places, but they can't have a television. As if television watching causes COVID. I mean, just some of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Um, I want to get from you because the recommendations are so confusing coming from Fauci. First, it was no masks. Then it was one mask. Then it was two masks. Uh, now we're back to one mask. Uh, and then you have airlines following suit and making ridiculous recommendations. Uh, last time I was on an airline, they wanted me to put on a third mask. Can't make this up. Um, and so I just want to get from you. Uh, what is your recommendation on masking if you have one? Right, so America's Frontline Doctors has information on our website about masks, all right? We know that the virus goes right through a surgical mask, and that's because surgical masks were never created to keep out viral viruses that are 0.1 micron in size. The virus is 200 to 1,000 times smaller than the pores in a mask. It's just a fact. So, you know, you could put two or three masks on, you could put a whole bunch of masks, it wouldn't matter. Let's remind people that SARS, uh, I'm sorry, SARS-CoV-1 virus, 0.1 micron in size, was supposed to be contained in the level four biosafety hazard lab. Those are the kind of labs that have, you know, astronaut suits, you're wearing a helmet and a spacesuit, basically, triple locked doors. You can't say that it should be contained in that environment and also can be kept out by a bandana or surgical mask. Really, we have to get back to common sense. Surgical masks are irrelevant and so are three. <laughs> okay. And what about the facial shields? Because I do see a lot of people wearing these facial shields. I myself much prefer the, the shield that kind of comes up from my chin because at least I can breathe through it as opposed to a mask. And I would think that a shield would be a more permanent kind of a structure than a fibrous mask that has pores in it. Um, I'd love to get your impression of that. And if you've seen any studies uh, and if, if, uh, if America's Frontline Doctors has any recommendation on that, I'd love to know what those are as well. Right, so the plastic shield actually is a good barrier uh, against small particles. We did not post on our website the actual science behind it, but there is, there's a lot more to support the usefulness of a plastic barrier, which is a solid, versus the kind of paper cloth. It's really a shame that the policymakers are not going in that direction. Um, there is usefulness to the plastic shield as opposed to the cloth, but I would be negligent if I didn't say the main thing that keeps people healthy is being um, having a good, strong immune system, right? We know this because the people that succumb to COVID-19 tend to be elderly nursing home patients, younger people, people in their 50s even, people in their 60s even, if they don't have multiple comorbid conditions, do not have much to risk from SARS-CoV-1, uh, SARS-CoV-2, and if they do, early treatment is highly effective. And one final question I wanted to ask you regarding COVID. Um, we had a study this week uh, come out that we were talking about at justthenews.com, our partners here, and it was regarding the neurological and mental impact of COVID. Um, after COVID is over with, many people are reporting, and I know I myself experienced a great deal of brain fog. I did 
whole events where I spoke, and I literally don't even remember speaking. Now, I rewatched them, and they looked fine. In the moment, I seemed to do okay, but I don't remember even being at the event, and that is kind of scary. And so there were just like whole weeks of my life after COVID that I just don't remember. Um, is this normal? Should people be concerned? And what other types of neurological impact uh, does this apparent biological weapon have on the human brain? Right. So the problem when you get very sick with COVID-19 is that it's kind of massive inflammatory response. And we do hear stories like that where you're having an, apparently an inflammatory response in your brain. Our answer to that is we should be very, very aggressive about early treatment. There is simply no reason why any American has to go down the road of being very ill with COVID-19. Hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin with zinc prevents serious illness in virtually all cases. There's no reason for anyone to go down the path of getting seriously ill to the point they get massive inflammation, including inflammation in the brain. It's irresponsible. The medical community and the policymakers really have blood on their hands. It's a crime against humanity that we're not recommending early treatment out of the gate for almost anybody who wants it. Okay. And now they're reversing their policy on hydroxychloroquine. Now yeah. that it's not President Trump recommending it, guess what? It's no longer banned and you can even get it. And, to, and you mentioned ivermectin also and zinc. I, did, I took zinc. I did not take ivermectin. I did take hydroxychloroquine, even though it was banned uh, at that moment. Um, and uh, that's probably the reason I survived and didn't end up in the hospital. Um, Dr. Gold, I want to get to asking you about the events uh, at the Capitol on January 6th. You received a visit from law enforcement, so I'd like to give you a chance to make whatever comment you'd like to on that. You know, I, Dr. Jane, I accept um, all invitations to speak to large crowds because we are broadly censored on a lot of media. So it was very natural for me to accept an invitation to speak at the Capitol. I, I speak, as I always do, on these sorts of health issues. Lockdowns don't work. Early treatment does, don't live in fear, and you should not be mandated to take an experimental therapeutic agent. That's what I was planning to speak on. I was an invited guest. The speakers were canceled. You know, it became a, a very big news story afterwards, but I can tell you from my perspective, there, were, there was more than a million people in the Capitol. There was 100,000 people on, you know, on, on the side I was on. Where I was on was very peaceful. I saw later that there was some incidents of rioting and destruction, but it was very minimal and it wasn't anywhere near I was. And everything else I'll just have to defer to, you know, per counsel's advice not to speak on the subject. All right, Dr. Gold. Well, we just appreciate you being on with us. You've been a great guest. And uh, I knew when I saw that, that uh, we'd want to have you on and give you a chance to talk about it. So thank you so much for all of your contribution and to all of your frontline doctors, because you all have been courageous when a lot haven't. So thank you. Thank you. All right, coming up, BLM has been nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize, but so has President Trump. Who deserves it? We're going to ask Georgia State Representative Vernon Jones up next. Don't miss it. More Dr. Gina Primetime coming at you right after this. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. 
CarMax, the way car buying should be. Now, after watching years of BLM rioting and burning and destroying cities around the country, the organization now has been nominated, you're hearing this right, for a Nobel Peace Prize. And my next guest might have a little something to say about that. He is Georgia State Representative Vernon Jones. Good to see you, Representative Jones. Uh, Representative, uh, I just want to ask you, first of all, what do you think of this nomination? And, and how are they even rationalizing it? Well, you know, I am struck by this. Black Lives Matter has caused at least, what, close to 26 deaths. Over 700 police officers have been injured. Both private and government property have been destroyed, including burning down uh, police stations and police cars, um, federal courthouses, um, and, and then just invasion of people's private property. And to say that they were nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize is, is uh, I guess the only thing I can say is that I'm shocked. I'm just shocked by it. Um, and now I find out today that even Stacey Abrams was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize. I can say this, the Nobel, Priest, the Nobel Peace Prize is no longer noble in my sight because you can be uh, part of um, igniting riots. You can be for election fraud. You can be for anything that could wreak havoc on a community and you can get nominated. Well, not very peaceful, to be sure, either. But Barack Obama was awarded the prize in 2009, just months into his first term in office. But at least, he, I mean, he wasn't rioting in the streets. He hadn't murdered anyone that we know of. Um, he wasn't killing cops at a, um, frankly, disproportionate rate of, um, of, of, you know, of, of black people. I mean, more more of the people who have been killed uh, through BLM are black people. Um, I don't understand how that advances black people or the or the black agenda whatsoever. Well, I think many of us are still trying to determine what did Barack Obama do to even get awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, he was awarded that before he was sworn in. Um, and when I look at those former recipients like Dr. Martin Luther King, who really fought for equality for everybody, who really put his life on the line, literally lost his life. When I look at those, those are the ones who truly, him and others, deserve the Nobel Peace Prize. At this point, uh, it just doesn't have the significance that it had before. It doesn't have the um, really where you roll your, 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 your sleeves up and you really worked hard and you made a difference, not only in your community and your country, but the world. And so I'm just really surprised that Black Lives Matter, who are Marxists by their own accord, uh, who are communists, who sought to destroy the nucleus of the black family, would be nominated for such. The Seattle School District today, Representative Jones, um, is uh, instituting, wanted to institute um, the Black Lives Matter curriculum, you may have heard. And they basically said that if you treat people equally, and this is part of an executive order that Joe Biden is actually planning to implement, if he hasn't already, in his 40-plus executive orders that he's implementing stacked on his desk this high, as you've seen. Um, part of that Black Lives Matter curriculum being implemented into our schools, starting in Seattle, 
says that um, sometimes equality, by its very nature, uh, is bigoted and uh, doesn't treat people equally just because it's equality. Uh, this is a new sort of bigotry I had never even thought of. So now we aren't going to be treating people, kids, equally anymore. We have to make sure that we treat people disproportionately based exactly upon what Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, the Nobel Peace Prize winner, very rightfully, I think few would ever deny um, that you mentioned, um, exactly what he said we should never do, which is base anything upon skin color instead of character. Well, it was very simple what he fought for. It's a very simple uh, formula. Every American should have the right to vote. Every American should have access to housing. Every American should have access to jobs. Every American should have access uh, to want to own a business. And you should not be kept from those opportunities based on your race, based on your creed, based on your color. Um, and so when you look at how things have just taken such a twist and turn, and to use Dr. Martin Luther King, I, when I see these liberals use Dr. Martin Luther King to justify a lot of their actions, First of all, if anybody who knew anything about Dr. King, he was a conservative. He was pro-family. Dr. King was faith-based. Dr. King also felt that people needed jobs and not government programs. He wanted the government to do its job in terms of giving everybody an opportunity to have access to the constitutional rights. But again, which is, in my opinion, uh, Dr. King was, was conservative to believe that the Constitution should serve every American a citizen. So you've seen it taken out of context, you've seen it turned and twisted, and uh, that's what the liberals do. Um, you know, when I look at Nancy Pelosi now on the House floor, um, she now has rules that you can't refer to someone as a man or a woman, it has to be, you know, or can't be a, a, a father or mother, it has to be a parent. It can't be a brother or sister. It has to be sibling. Um, where, where's this going? So can you not call someone a man? Can you not call someone a woman? I remember those who were marching in Memphis, and Dr. King went to Memphis to stand with those sanitation workers. They were wearing signs, and those signs were saying, I am a man, and how they were being treated based on them being a black man, or being treated based on working conditions, based on uh, a lot of things, including education, access to public accommodation, just those things alone. Uh, where are people being uh, um, kept from having access to public accommodations? Now, you get too much into this whole thing of equality. Now you're seeing more women start to have an issue with those young men who call themselves or um, associate themselves uh, with being transgender, they want to compete in women's sports. Well, you also had girls who wanted to be members of the Cub Scouts, which was traditionally for boys. And this thing is getting blurred and it's getting taken out of context and is beginning to go too far where now there's the boomerang effect. And so I just love every American. I don't care what your race, gender, or orientation is. I want everybody to have access to a quality of life. I want everybody to have access uh, to peaceful demonstrations. I want everybody to have access um, to the Constitution. And, and, and when I see where things are just being turned and twists and the liberals are completely taking us off of the map, it very much concerns me. 
And and it's interesting you bring that up because if you if you look back at the Orwellian uh, animal farm representative, all animals are equal, he said, but some animals are more equal than others. That's a proclamation by the pigs, remember, who controlled the government in the novel Animal Farm by George Orwell. And uh, and and we're hearing a lot of this. If you take that statement um, by BLM, treating people equally may now be racist. It really, it really, it it flies in the face of everything that we thought we knew about equality. Certainly, everything that you've ever said, everything that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. ever ever said, and really everything that even liberals said up until the new age of uh, communism that we seem to be in now. Well, you know, when I think about Black Lives Matter and and they want to talk about this whole thing with equality, I notice that they never have anything to say when black lives are taken by black lives. It seems like it's always when there is a situation, a black person where he's involved or she's involved with a police officer that's white. When I look in Chicago, when I look at the number of police shoot on the number of shootings among African Americans, when I look at the number of kids being killed. When I look across this country, when you saw what happened in Atlanta during the Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter rallies and the protests and the riots, you saw an eight-year-old baby girl that was killed shot through a car. She was a black baby. Nobody said anything about that from Black Lives Matter. When you look in New York, there was a one-year-old baby girl shot through her stroller. And you heard what her mom right. said, her grandmother said, that she wasn't black, her black life didn't matter. And I look at myself. When I was leaving Washington uh, at the um, at the president's uh, uh, acceptance speech, where he received it from the Republican National Convention, I was in my route in route back to my hotel, and so was Miss Alice Johnson, who's African American, and we were attacked by Black Lives Matter and Antifa people. Well, I was black, or I am black, and she's black, and so when I hear that, how is that Black Lives Matter people are attacking Black lives? even those who do not agree with them wanting to destroy the nucleus of the black family. There is no equality until me and with me and others exercising our First Amendment right, freedom of speech. And so the hypocrisy of Black Lives Matter. Um, I hope that we can get beyond that because clearly we know all lives matter, but Black Lives Matter create a lot of violence. And it's hypocritical of them to talk about anything about peace and to receive a nomination for the Nobel Peace Award or the Nobel Peace Medal, again, um, the Nobel Peace Award is no longer noble when individual groups like that, uh, literally domestic terrorist groups, are being nominated for their peaceful deeds. I, I just can't comprehend that. Or I should say for their yeah. violent deeds because it wasn't peaceful. Yeah, and President Trump also nominated for that, but um, for good reasons. President Trump did not start any new wars in the U.S. as president, which hasn't happened in our lifetime. He worked to bring our troops home. His peace deals in the Middle East were absolutely, undeniably historic. And I think he's as deserving as anyone in history, don't you? Well, I think he's much more deserving than Barack Obama, who did nothing to bring about peace. And he was given that award prior to him even being elected president, or I should say being sworn in as president. President Trump has a record, clearly. Uh, he's maintained peace when they thought that war was going to break out between the U.S. and Korea, North Korea. He maintained peace um, even with moving the, the, the embassy, the Jewish embassy, uh, to Jerusalem. They thought there was going to be war behind that. 
and also the other deals that he he broke in, on terms of in terms of peace agreements. So this president has a record of doing things that that really should be nominated and should be recipient, in my opinion, of the Nobel Peace Prize. Absolutely. Well, I guess we'll continue watching and uh, seeing if, you know, there are maybe there maybe like so many things in this world, Representative, uh, today, it seems to me like those who can still think critically and clearly and, and soberly need to develop some of their own awards and, and just go that way because so much of this has become so, so corrupted in this uh, cancel culture. Um, well, well, you know what's you interesting? That's a good idea. Yeah. What's interesting, Donald Trump received an award from Jesse Jackson, Operation Push, before he was president. Right. Isn't that interesting? And many other awards, uh, including from the NAACP. So he didn't just start getting awards. He was getting them before he became president. And uh, it's kind of ironic, great point. the narrative. Great now. point. <laughs> Thank yeah, you so much. Great point. Congratulations, Representative Vernon Jones, and thanks for joining me tonight. And thanks to you for joining me tonight, and thanks to everyone here at your new home for Real News, Real America's Voice, RAV-TV, live from Studio 6B, up next with Damon and the gang. Hug your children, love your God, you go boldly now, and live the truth. Good night, everybody. <laughs>